Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. you to get your Bibles out and turn to the beginning of the book, where we have begun most of these messages in this important series. And let me just say, as a lot of you probably already realize, um, some sermons are easier than others. (laughs) Some topics are easier than others. Um, Some passages are easier than others. And I I literally, um, I didn't keep track, but I I think I probably spent more time reading, studying, praying, analyzing for this message than I have in probably several years. Um, Did an enormous amount of study on this main theme in Bible passages and uh, also in a lot of other reading related to our culture, and some beliefs today, Um, and as always, I seek, as I have since the first day of my ministry, to speak the truth in love, Uh, but that involves the truth, and um, I appreciate God's clarity uh, on this subject. I didn't realize how clear he was. Uh, until doing more study in a lot of passages this week. Um, I will tell you this, I don't know if this will make you panic or not, but I probably, out of all the notes and things that I wrote down, um, am using less than half (laughs) of that in the message, and it may still be a hair longer than it normally is on a Sunday, um, because there is a lot to say, and... uh, a lot I wish I could have addressed. Uh, there are passages I wish I could talk longer about that I will simply summarize and not even read. Um, but I've tried to be thorough in your outline with the scriptures that I'm referring to um, on this staggeringly important subject of male and female. In God's image, male and female. You know, ending or eating restrictions are not usually fun. After my open heart surgery, the low sodium emphasis did not really bother me at all because I could kind of care less about a lot of sodium. But the thing about less sugar has not been as well received in my life as some of you would have expected. Therefore, I like this thing that I found on the internet, and if the internet says it, it has to be true, right? (laughs) The heading starts out, chocolate is a vegetable. And then it explains, chocolate is derived from cocoa beans. A bean is a vegetable. Sugar is derived from either sugar cane or sugar beets. Both of them are plants in the vegetable category, thus chocolate is a vegetable. I'm liking this. 
goes on, to go one step further, chocolate candy bars also contain milk, which is dairy. So candy bars are a health food. That's good. And then finally, chocolate-covered raisins, cherries, and strawberries all count as fruit. So eat as many as you want. Basically, that, that thing on the internet that has to be true is about fruits and veggies. Chocolate, in other words. <laughs> so amen, preach it, brother. Word games. <laughs> That's what that was, word games. Word games to achieve a desired end. We saw last Sunday that that's what Satan did with the, within the abortion industry a few decades ago. He began referring to the baby in the womb with other terms like product of conception or uterine contents or fetal tissue when biblically, scientifically, and medically it is clearly a baby, especially as those of you know who have had a baby in the last two years and saw those very incredibly vivid sonograms. Word games to achieve a desired goal. Word games. Satan is a master at word games. And word games, they can be fun in some ways. I like doing things with words. But word games can be quite harmful, misleading, and dangerous when it is God's words being twisted or distorted or changed then word games are a serious, serious problem. Consider two incredibly important words straight from the heart and mouth of God. Those two words are male and female. Beautiful words. Foundational words. Non-threatening words until very recently in human history. Words spoken by God in a reverent way, in a life-giving way, not long after the dawn of time. God said those words reverently, male and female. Genesis 1.27, we've heard it every week in this series. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then it adds this. We've not commented on this at all, this whole series. Male and female, he created them. Then we go over into the chap uh, second chapter to what naturally follows from God's plan. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 21 and following. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then a verse that's quoted twice in the New Testament, once by Jesus, once by the Apostle Paul. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Folks, that is God's ordained order and plan. When God's Son, Jesus, came to dwell among us many, many years later, 
he clearly and unequivocally affirmed God's design. Jesus, when asked a question about divorce, responded in the way that's in the words on the front of your bulletin this morning. He said, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Jesus got right to the point and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus knew how foundational and important the male-female gender reality was to all of human civilization. And Jesus wanted to make it absolutely clear that after centuries of confusion, he wanted to reestablish what God the Father had said unequivocally at the beginning of time. And that male-female gender reality is inseparable from the fact that we are created in God's image. So consider the first point on your outline. You'll notice this mirrors somewhat um, the uh, contrast we drew last week. But this is the first important principle. And notice we're, we're going to spend a bit of time here, but most of our time is going to be spent on point D under the first two points. God is the author of life, order, and harmony. See, it is what He is and it's what he desires. It's what he wishes to give us as humans, life and order and harmony. So to do that, God gave us four gifts, three of which we're going to talk about very quickly. First of all, he gave us creation. Genesis 1 describes the amazing account of the creation by the voice of God of our astounding universe, of our amazing world, and of the plant and animal kingdoms. And that was all created, God makes very clear in the latter part of the chapter, it was all created for us to enjoy as human beings and us to benefit from and us to glorify God with. And each day of creation, God would look at what he had made and he said, it is good. In other words, it is orderly, it is consistent, it is functioning in harmony together. And then God did an amazing thing since we're created in his image. He invited us to partner with him in caring for creation and the world and the things that he had made. So in Genesis 1, verse 26, right before the, the verse we read earlier, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. And this is why, part of the reason, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This was God's design. But God's enemy, Satan, did not like that order and that goodness. So he looked for a way to disrupt it. And we'll come back to that in a few moments. Another gift God gave us is your point B on your outline. He gave us boundaries. God gave us boundaries. He built into the system laws that if violated, have consequences. 
natural laws like gravity. You slide off your roof like I did, <laughs> what, a year and a half ago or something? Um, the gravity laws take effect. But he also gave us moral and spiritual laws to guide human behavior. Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, right after that verse 15, says, The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God set some boundaries because he loved us. They violated those boundaries. Sin entered the picture. And thus, in chapter 3, after human sin, God explains one of the consequences. Verse 7, to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until the, you, re, you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Romans 8 says that that curse on the earth is going to be in effect until Jesus comes back and redeems the world. See, you see, once human sin entered the picture, God had to give more commands and instructions and warnings to benefit us and to keep things orderly and reasonably in harmony since we had already screwed up the system. See, that's what any good parent does. That's what any good government does, as we'll see next Sunday. Gives boundaries out of love, to protect those who will be hurt if they violate those boundaries. God loves us. He did something else to us, for us. He gave us his image. This is the entire series we've been covering, so let me just say this very quickly. God made humanity different from all the rest of creation with a moral and ethical capacity, a creative capacity that allows us to partner with God in ruling over creation. He also gave us a spiritual capacity that allows us to have a conscious, personal relationship with God. God gave us his image, his third gift. But God gave us another gift that I want us to talk about at length. God gave us family. The most basic, stabilizing unit of all of society. And at the core and foundation of humanity and family is the reality of male and female. It's the foundation of marriage. It is the foundation of family. It is the, fam it is the, the foundation of reproduction. That's why right after Genesis 1.27, male and female he created them, it says God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. The only way that was going to happen is with a male and a female. It was God's design. Therefore, in chapter 5, after human sin, says this is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man or Adam. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. My friends, the binary view of gender is biblical. The binary view of gender is biblical. It is straight from the heart and word of God himself. It is not a social construct. It is a God construct. 
and it is central to all of life on earth. You may have just simply read over passages like Genesis 6.19 when it's preparing for the flood. And it says you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Without male and female, nothing was going to procreate, not animals, not people. Genesis 7, 15 and 16, again, leading into the flood. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Folks, as we already saw, Jesus was once asked a question about divorce in Matthew 19. And Jesus, to answer, did not get bogged down by public opinions or by social confusion. Jesus even bypassed Genesis 2, the first marriage, to deliberately and consciously go all the way back to the beginning, as he called it, to the concept of male and female. And then, friends, God honors the binary concept of male and female through the rest of the entire Bible. He honors the concept of masculinity and femininity all through the Bible. We each are created in God's image, male and female. We each, as male and female, have aspects of God's nature that the other does not. That could be another thing we could talk about for a while we won't this morning. We need each other, as male and female, to fulfill God's plan in us. You see, in that male-female distinction that God created, in that uniqueness, there is beauty and harmony. In those differences, those many, many, many differences between male and female, there is beauty and harmony. And in those many differences, we complement and complete one another. That's God's plan. As Denny Burke rightly argued, we dare not miss that God created sexual differentiation. The terms male and female are not cultural constructs. They are not social roles foisted upon mankind by the accretion of culture and tradition. Male and female designate the fundamental distinction that God has embedded in the very biology of the race. End of quote. It is significant to note that after the first human sin, that the punishment God, God gave Adam and Eve were gender-specific. Gender-specific. Adam was punished uniquely as a male in his role. Eve was punished uniquely in her role as a female. The punishment for Eve was totally irrelevant to Adam because it would have, been, it would have meant nothing. And those same curses on male and female from the fall of Adam and Eve are still in effect for males and females today. God created male and female to be equal in value and worth, but with different gender-defined functions. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 through 12 is one of the only ones I'm going to actually read. The others I'm going to refer to, they're all in your outline. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Nevertheless, in, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. We need each other's differences. That's what God was clearly saying. That's what Jesus himself was saying. 
Ephesians 5 could be another 10 minutes of this message. Verse 21 to verse 33. How we are equal in value before God, but with different roles. Matter of fact, it even makes a comparison between the, man, the husband and wife and Christ and the church. You take the male-female element out of that, and the Christ church thing just goes berserk. 1 Timothy 2 and 3 describes some male roles in the Lord's church. Titus chapter 2, Paul tells young Titus the preacher uh, how to treat younger women and how to treat younger men. It was gender specific. How to treat older men, how to treat older women, gender specific. Just like 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, these are all in your outline. 1 Peter 3, 7 speaks in the context of we want our prayers answered by God. Tells the husband you ought to treat your wife in a gender specific way because she is a female. Deuteronomy 22.5 even gives us a warning about dressing like the opposite sex. David Huss expressed it this way. Gender differences are a wonderful thing. These differences are a reflection of the Trinity. In the Trinity, we see unity and diversity. Therefore, an attack on gender is a satanic attack on the image of God in man. If you are a man, it is good that God created you to be a man. If you are a woman, it is good that God created you to be a woman. We must not rebel against the way God made us. We should celebrate the differences between male and female, end of quote. We've seen more than once in this series, Psalm 139 and verse 14, where it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Male and female, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we should live out that calling from God. As Genesis 1.31 describes at the end of the day, days of creation, after he had made Adam and Eve, male and female, says it was very good. Very good. But folks, Satan is not very fond of very good. Satan is not fond of the order and beauty of God's design of male and female. Satan despises it. So he has waged a relentless war against God's design. And far too many human beings do not realize they are being used as pawns in the midst of Satan's attack. And that's a frightening tragedy. The victims who don't realize they are victims. And that brings us to this second main point. That Satan is the author of death, confusion, and destruction. You see, Satan, as I, I say this often, Satan knows he cannot ever defeat God. He cannot. So he goes after us and after God's design for us. So, quickly, point A, B, and C, which mirror the first point. Satan attacks Genesis 1-11. through have you ever thought, <laughs> why those chapters? Why is there so much attack, so much suspicion, so much controversy that human beings have created about Genesis 1 through 11? I'll tell you why. Because Satan knew that they explain the foundation and beginning of literally everything. The world, life, humanity, marriage, family, sin, where sin came from, death, relationships... We can even learn in Genesis 1-11 through 11 
why Jesus Christ needed to come die on the cross. That's how important Genesis 1 through 11 are. And that's why Satan has attacked those chapters and the historicity and the veracity of those chapters. But friends, if I cannot believe Genesis 1 through 11 is historical and from God, why should I believe Matthew 1 through 11 or Romans 1 through 11? And if I can't believe Genesis 3.16, why should I believe John 3.16? You see, Satan understands that perfectly. So he plays this game with us with Genesis 1 through 11. Because Satan knows that it's either all God's truth or none of it is. So he attacks Genesis 1 through 11. Point B, Satan attacks God's boundaries. God set up boundaries for our own good to protect us from things that will harm us, to guide us and keep us on track, and to protect you and me from our own foolishness. God loves us. Do you realize at least five times in the Bible it condemns people who move ancient boundary stones. There's twice in Deuteronomy, once in Job, once, or twice in Proverbs. And I realize that that not moving ancient boundary stones is primarily about the sacredness of private ownership, which God always ordains throughout Scripture. But he's also giving a principle here. God is saying, do not move what I have firmly established. Do not move what I have firmly established. What God has decreed about marriage, sexuality, and the male and female genders are ancient, God-established boundary stones that we dare not move. We dare not move. And we must not go along with Satan when he tries to move them. Satan attacks something else. Point C, if you're following the <laughs> different points, you already know. Satan attacks God's image bearers. In other words, us. Satan knows that when he draws you and me outside God's loving boundaries into sin, it will steal our joy, it will steal our purpose, our usefulness, our hope, and our relationship with God. In other words, all the privileges that go with us being made in God's image, he takes away when he draws us outside God's boundaries. And that brings us to point D, where I want to spend a significant amount of time. Satan attacks the God-ordained family. Why don't you go ahead and flip over to Romans 1, because we're going to go there and read some kind of unpleasant verses that explain a lot of human history and explain a lot of what's going on in America the last 20 years or so. Satan attacks the God-ordained family. You see, the devil went after the very first family. Genesis 1 ends with the words, it was very good, verse 31. Genesis 2 ends with the words, there was no shame. There was harmony. But then chapter 3 happens, they go outside God's boundaries, they move God's boundary stones, and by verse 10, after human sin, they are hiding from God for the first time in their existence. Verse 12, Adam is blaming Eve. So the blame game has started among the human race. Still running rampant today. Then by Genesis 4, you see jealousy in the first family. You see violence. You see the first death. Cain kills Abel. By Genesis 6, it is 
off the scales out of control. And it even makes reference to sex outside God's boundaries. And then rampant sin, and the result was the flood. Well, after the flood, apparently Noah's descendants had not learned the lesson well enough about what happens when you get outside God's boundaries. And you start reading about polygamy. Polygamy is outside God's boundaries. You read about rapes. You read in Genesis 19 about homosexuality and incense. And those are all followed by all the physical, emotional, psychological, and social consequences that go with getting outside God's boundaries. So God tried throughout the Old Testament to reestablish boundaries and to make the markers clear again. So in other words, God had to give a bunch of rules and instructions and be more specific about it since they had already tried to move his boundary stones. So you have chapters like Leviticus 18 where he starts enumerating these sexual sins. Don't have sex with your sister-in-law, your mother-in-law, your stepmother. And, I mean, all these, by, you know, very specific. And then it culminates with verse 21 to 24, and I include 21 because it goes with last week. And God says this, Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because that, this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. So why all the negative commands did God uh, give those? One word, love. Love. Because those sins would defile them. Because he wanted to protect them. So how in the world could Satan literally lead humanity to destruction so easily when God had been so clear? Well, Romans 1 describes what has happened throughout human history and what has happened in America in the last few decades. It begins with verse 18 to verse 20 where it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who, and here it is, suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So in other words, Satan got human beings to develop a, an improper view of God, and idolatry kicked in. And then this happened, verse 21 and verse 22. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, don't we hear a lot of that today? They claimed to be wise, they became fools. So foolishness resulted from getting outside God's boundaries and redefining God. Verse 23, next step. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Notice that word images. Rather than us as human beings made in the image of God reflecting his image in ourselves, people began making false idols and putting God in the image of animals. You see the twisting going on? Then verse 24 and 25, it keeps getting worse. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. 
They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So what was the next step? Sexual sin and sexual confusion. All from believing a lie. A lie. And then we get to 26 to 28. Please take note of the adjectives the Holy Spirit uses. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile, and this is key, to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. What you're reading there is rebellion against the design God set up. They violated God's male-female plan. They violated God's male-female design and beauty and harmony and goodness. And notice again the adjectives the Holy Spirit chose to use there. Shameful, unnatural, indecent, perversion, and depraved. Those are his words, not mine. Rebellion against God's design and what results in verse 29 to 32, which we will not read, is cultural chaos. Cultural chaos results when we give in outside God's boundaries to sexual confusion. All from believing a lie. Jesus said in John 8 that, John, that Satan is a liar and a deceiver and a destroyer. And I believe that we do not give him nearly enough credit for his direct role in the sexual confusion in America today. Folks, let's never forget God's clear warning in Ephesians 6.12, right before he describes the armor of God that we need. He reminds us our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan and his demons. And friends, only the armor of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God can protect us from Satan's lies and deceptive attacks. So I have a very serious question for the church of Jesus Christ, including Bethlehem. Here's my question. Why are so many Christians afraid to point to cultural confusion and sexual confusion and clearly declare this is satanic, this is demonic? Why are Christians afraid to say that? Satan is the enemy. Human beings are his victims. Let's fight back. Let's especially fight back for children. Satan is destroying children today on a colossal scale through four things. Abortion, human trafficking, transgenderism, and the major push to normalize pedophilia. In other words, adults of any age having sex with kids of any age. If you have not noticed, that is being pushed in the mainstream education, mainstream media, mainstream shows, and everything else, they won't even use the word pedophilia anymore. They use the word minor attracted persons because they want to make it legal across the board in the United States of America. Any person of any age having sex. And all of those things, abortion, 
human trafficking, transgenderism, and pedophilia disrupt God's design. All those things destroy lives created in God's image. And it's a tragic cycle that often goes like this. Sexual abuse creates confused, scared victims who then become more susceptible to Satan's lies and can then be taken advantage of by more evil adults and by a corrupt medical industry. And all the while, Satan just smiles at the broken lives. And we, the church, are afraid to attribute it to him. Satan smiles as drag queens are welcomed into schools, libraries, and public events with their blatant mockery of womanhood and God's design. Satan just smiles. He smiled in the late 1940s as four of the early leaders in the transgender revolution set out, set out to systematically topple the natural structure of creation. That's their words. He smiles as the transgender false religion wipes out 5,000 years of biblical, philosophical, and scientific perspective following decades of moral decline that has desensitized humanity so that we accept these things. Satan smiled earlier this year during the 2023 Grammy Awards show as self-proclaimed non-binary singer Sam Smith and transgender Kim Petras performed their hit song entitled Unholy, which included blatant satanic imagery. You probably laughed at that one, Satan. And finally, Satan smiles that the infamous icon of Satanism, the goat-headed Baphomet, represents a fusion of male and female with the two halves of the body representing each sex. That's the symbol of Satanism, to blur male and female. My dear friends, this stuff's all connected. And the common denominator is Satan's desire to deceive, confuse, mislead, and destroy human beings created in, in the image of God, male and female. And also contributing to it is a world cursed by sin. Dr. Craig Nelson said, The Bible does not distinguish between biological sex and mental sexual gender. Abnormalities, mutations, and gender confusion result from the fall in the Garden of Eden. A person's inclination to act like the opposite sexual gender is ultimately due to sin entering the human race, which caused the DNA to mutate and break down through entropy and into many variations. Sexual gender anomalies and same-sex attraction are psychological or genetic mutation issues, end of quote. Now, every one of us in this room has our own emotional, psychological, mental, social, or most of all, spiritual issues that can only be properly dealt with by returning to the God who created us in his image, male and female. That's the only solution for any of us with our sins. And that brings us to the good news point in this message. <laughs> and that is that God is the author of renewal. This was our message two weeks ago. Jesus came here to reverse the curse of sin, to bring har harmony and healing and renewal and hope through forgiveness of our sins, not excusing them, but forgiveness of our sins. But you see, that requires certain things. 
It requires, first of all, restoring God's authority. Restoring his lordship, his sovereignty, his will. It's an acceptance of his word as the final word. See, that's what Jesus was demonstrating in Matthew 19. They're saying, Jesus, you know, everybody's saying about this and about divorce. And what do you say about divorce? He says, uh, let's see what God said from the very beginning. That's what is the final word. So we have to first restore God's authority. Secondly, we have to re restore his design. We accept, in other words, and, and leave in place God's ancient boundary stones. We leave in place his plan for life and work and church and family and gender. We say, God, you know better than me. I'm going to follow your plan. We acknowledge that no material thing, no surgery, no career change, no accomplishment, no new identity or pronoun will take care of our sin problem. Only God's gospel plan through Jesus Christ can take care of my sin problem, your sin problem, or those sin problems out there. Albert Moeller rightly wrote, Christians recognize that the inclination of every sinful human heart is to find security and salvation as something, in something outside of Christ. If only pills, therapy, or a surgical procedure could deal with our problems, we would not have to deal with the reality of our sin, and we would not have to confront the, soli the solitary provision for that sin and the atonement accomplished by Jesus Christ. He's saying all of us want to find a solution someplace else when the only solution is in Christ. Jesus is the answer through his atoning blood sacrifice for us. So finally... If we're going to set things right again, we need to restore, or let him restore his image in us. This, again, the October 15th message, go back and listen to it. We read it at that time, we'll read it again, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, about God creating in us a new self, a completely new person, a new attitude. Folks, forgiveness and renewal are possible in Christ, whatever sin we have screwed up our lives with. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 is powerfully important in us understanding grace. Grace. But a lot of this is missed because people don't want to read what God says in these verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, the Holy Spirit of God says to us, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That ends very sadly, tragically. It's a warning from the Holy Spirit to call us to the grace of God, which is revealed in the next verse, verse 11. But it says this, and that is what some of you were. In other words, he says, you used to be some of these things. That is what some of you were, past tense, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is forgiveness, grace, and healing from every sin listed in verses 9 and 10, or any other you can list. So friends, if you are struggling with adulterous thoughts, this is the place for you to be in the house of God, seeking the will of God in his word. If you struggle with pornography, this is the place you need to be. 
If you struggle with same-sex attraction, this is the place you need to be. If you struggle with gender dysphoria, this is the place you need to be. I love how Jesus modeled grace and truth, both in his life and in how he treated other people. And to me, the greatest example of this is in John chapter 8, when he's up teaching, and they drag in a woman naked who had been caught in the act of adultery. They didn't bring the man, they brought the woman. And then they decide, well, we're going to see what he does about it. See if he follows the Old Testament law. And then it says this, starting in verse 7. Jesus said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and people speculated, and always will, about what he wrote. And it says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you. And that's incredible, but that's where too many people today, even in the church, stop. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Please notice that Jesus showed loving tolerance for her as a person, but he showed absolute intolerance for her sin. Do you catch the difference? He said, stop it. Stop this sin. You see, the answer is not in affirming sin, nor in condoning sin, nor in tolerating sin. The answer is in renouncing sin, whatever that sin may be in your life or my life. The Bible calls that repentance. And the Bible's very clear in the earliest days of the church when it makes repentance core to the teaching. Acts 3, verse 19, says this about repentance. Early days of the church. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In other words, times of refreshing and sins being wiped out aren't going to happen until the first word happens. He says repent. You have to renounce that. But then even earlier than that, on the first day of the church, when they were asked what they ought to do, when they realized their sin had sent Jesus to the cross, they said, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent. <laughs> there it is. We sometimes jump to the, to the next extremely important phrase, but repent. And when you've done that, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, our sins can be forgiven. God's grace is amazing. His life-changing power is unmatched. His word is reliable and true. His plan is perfect. Its plan, his plan for life, for sexuality, for forgiveness is perfect. So I hope, as our worship team comes up to lead us in our final song, that you're able, and I am able, to fill in that statement at the bottom of the page, because this is where renewal and healing can start in my life and in your life and in any person, no matter how deep they are in sin. This is where it starts. Making this statement, I will honor God's design and seek to reflect his image in the life he has given me.
There was the life, the specific life, my whole life, my whole being, body, soul, spirit that he has given me. I'm going to honor him in that. I will honor God's design and seek to reflect his image in the life he has given me. Heavy stuff, serious stuff. But God loves us. God looks at my sin, looks at your sin, and says, you know, Jesus did something about that. (laughs) You just have to trust me, and you have to repent. And I'll give you a new life. And I will forgive you, and I will start building a new, restored you through the Holy Spirit living in your life. So as we sing this song this morning, let's think about our relationship with God. Let's think about ways we have violated his ancient boundary stones. Let's deal with those things. It might be privately, it might be publicly. If you need to come to him the first time in faith and repentance and confession and burying the old life in baptism, you can do that too. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's word and follow his son, Jesus Christ.